You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. A'uzu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. In the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, Ever Merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all, dear listeners. Welcome to another show of the Breakfast Show. It is Wednesday, the seventeenth of August. Here you are joined in the studio by myself, Muhammad Attar, and uh, Shumail Ahmed. How are you doing this morning, brother? I'm good. I'm learning yourself. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the weather is uh, quite uh, decent-ish today. It's not too sunny. Uh, there was some, you know, in the morning I had some dew on my car as well. Mm. It's a bit strange. Yeah, it's yeah, been yeah. So sunny in the last uh, few days. Yeah, I mean the heat wave kind yeah. of affected all of us. It was yeah. quite, the weather was getting a bit unbearable, but mm. now you know we're coming back to traditional British weather. <laughs> um, no, but to be honest, I'd rather have the sun like all the time than. Yeah, you know. yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. But so, well, in terms of in mm. terms of the weather, um, just a quick up, quick update on the weather. Like today, the south will see heavy showers and thunderstorms pushing in, uh, becoming increasingly confined to the southeast uh, through the day. Central and northern parts will be drier with some sunshine, and tonight the far south will be cloudy with showers lingering overnight. Scotland and Northern Ireland will be cloudy with rain pushing in from the west. Elsewhere, it will be dry with clear spells. So you know a bit of change from the past, mm. you know, two two three weeks. We had a lot of sun, but yeah. now you know we're coming back to you know a bit of cloudy weather and mm. a little bit of rain yeah but uh, uh, there's some uh, like uh, sort of uh, I, I was reading about some sort of flood warning as well in some uh, London boroughs which is quite strange to be honest in, in, in our areas especially mm-hmm. yeah, there, yeah there's been some, there's been some yellow uh, warning hmm. for thunderstorms and some flood warnings which is a bit alarming um, yeah. you know it's a bit you know the juxtaposition from the from the hot weather mm. now we're coming down to you know you know having warnings of floods and thunderstorms so yeah everyone should be you know a bit wary a bit cautious of uh, you know what's going on with the weather and be able must make sure you like check what's going on yeah. before you know you make a move or anything there's apparently you know there's like a drought to come as well so I don't I don't mm. really understand the I mean the weather, the weather is unpredictable yeah. the weather, the weather is, is very unpredictable, unpredictable. In, this, in this country you know, we 100%. can't really say anything about it. So, you know, as uh, as the listeners uh, know, we obviously always in the first segment of the show, we discuss the weather and the news. And then after we do have some very interesting topics for you today that we will be discussing and going through and have some have a very interesting lineup of guests as well. So uh, have you come across anything interesting in the news? Well, I mean, I have. You know, I've been reading about this a lot recently and just, mm. you know, just kind of monitoring and kind of seeing the situation and experiencing it myself is, yeah. the, is, the, is the inflation. Mm. I mean, everything just seems to be going up and up yeah. and up. And um, just on the news, it says that the UK inflation rate has hit 10.1% mm. figures from the Office of the National Statistics show. And food, prices of infla- uh, food price inflation mm. is now at its highest level since March 2009. But the cost of living is rising across the board, driven partly by energy costs and the Ukraine war also Hmm. uh, factors such as the cost of raw materials. And meanwhile, average Hmm. wage increases are falling behind with the average wage buying 3% fewer goods and servicing than a year before. I mean, it just goes to show that, Hmm. you know, we are in a critical state at the moment and, you know, I can see, I don't know if you've experienced it, but I can see, you know, just going out and buying a couple of things here and there, you just... You know, it's little little changes, yeah. but they build up mm. a lot. The inflation is, you know, is affecting all of us. Yeah. 
like for example if grocery shopping like weekly grocery shopping say it costs an average family six, it used to cost them like 60 70 pound a week now that 60 70 even if it's gone up by like 10 or 20 that is a big difference in the, at the end of the month and at the end of the year definitely definitely for for yeah. families who are struggling for families who are on benefits mm-hmm. you know their benefits are being cut as well and the, the everything the prices are just rising and the yeah. the things not matching even the minimum wage it went up by like what 20 30 p a few yeah, few, yeah. few months back yeah. and but the inflation has gone up by 10%. Yeah, I mean the cost of living yeah. is increasing at such a rate but mm-hmm. the you know the average wage the you know is not yeah. increasing at the same month. So you know I mean I like, uh, so, understand a lot of people struggling. Yeah. So L- Liz Truss said in one of the interviews that she won't be you know imposing a windfall tax on these big energy suppliers who are making mm. billions of dollars in um in profit alone because she doesn't want to stop them from doing business in our country. but if we put a windfall tax on them but even the uh, i remember reading that the the ceo of i believe bp even said that there should be something in place so uh you know they can help out the people of the country because they're making crazy amounts of profits billions upon yeah. billions of dollars uh, mm-hmm. dollars and pounds definitely definitely mm. i mean one thing i always like to speak on just moving on from the inflation yeah. is one thing i like to speak on whenever i come into breakfast shows a little bit about you know the football updates was going on around uh, in the football world and i don't know if you've seen the clip of uh, mbappe have you uh, no, are you aware I, of the I, clip I, i haven't seen okay, the clip for those no. for those in the, who don't know mbappe you know um he refused to sign a deal with real madrid in the summer and you know yeah. chose to stay with psg and a lot of people are specul- speculating and you know making comments at him for him thinking that he is bigger than he actually is and there's a, there's a famous clip hmm. if you if you haven't seen you could go check this out anywhere it's all over the internet where where PSG are on the attack hmm. and Mbappe wants to receive the ball but doesn't receive the ball and instead of you know carrying on playing he just walks off you know a bit you know like like a child does yeah. when they don't get the yeah. ball so i mean on that side you know there's a lot of to- uh, tension in hmm. the in the PSG camp um Manchester United are you a Manchester fan Uh I'm not even really a football fan to be honest <laughs> but they do carry on. Yeah, but as a, as a Arsenal fan I still you know I feel very very happy to say this that Manchester United are you know are struggling yeah. and we were we were in the same position oh, last season. Struggling. Yeah, I'm happy they're struggling. <laughs> we were in the same position <laughs> last season. Elon Musk tweeted that he's, he wants to buy Oh Manchester. yeah, I saw that. I saw that this morning. Yeah. I saw that he had tweeted that you know I'm going to buy Manchester United. People in the so. comments were like he's going to pull out halfway like yeah. you know the Twitter deal that he said. Yeah, yeah, that didn't yeah. Go so, yeah, we don't know, we don't. Maybe maybe it does take yeah. over but you know you know man, man Manchester fans are, you know, they want Glazers out. Mm. Uh, they want the owners out. Mm. Uh, they want to see a big change. They have one of the best footballers in the world yeah. to ever, you know, grace the sport. Mm. But yeah, I mean, football world. Oh, I always love talking about it. <laughs> uh, in other news, there's. Uh, I was reading about. Um, You know the mil- millions of people of the public se- sector workers preparing to vote on strikes in what could be the biggest wave of industrial action since 1970s. So you know we um, there was the tube tr- tube strikes, the rail strikes, in place before, but now um, other uh, people of the public sector they're thinking of uh, you know uh, train drivers, nurses, lorry drivers, and even grave diggers. Like they had a massive. strike in 1978 and uh, now they're thinking of uh, there's there's a st- threat by the unions of another great strike that is imminent just like that to come and you know the thing is we were speaking about this uh, last week as well that if the nurses and uh, the uh, doctors as well some of them if they go on strike it will leave the patients 
you know they will be the at the worst end of at the table of the table they will have it the worst but even though it's not their fault but they can't do anything but then you know the thing is you're just talking about footballers right and they make millions every week right i understand how they make the money but it's it's there's no there's no justice for people like you know for the nhs during covid they were doing extra hours extra shifts and what did we do for them we clapped for them yeah definitely definitely i mean i i do understand yeah. you know that they're trying to show appreciation mm. by you know the applaud for the nhs yeah. clap for the nhs but that's you know really more gonna, more exactly. needs to be done exactly okay, fine that will give you a bit of mm. a morale boost but yeah. you know that's not a practical practical solution mm. i mean these the nhs workers the doctors the nurses working tirelessly ever since covid the covid pandemic yeah. you know has hit has hit the uk has hit the world mm. you know countries are struggling and as you know as a as a, as a nation with free healthcare you yeah. know, you know we we are very grateful for that mm. but you know more I, f- i feel like more definitely needs to be done you these nurses working tirelessly hours mm. on end day and night putting in shifts that are not even meant to be the shifts exactly and you know 100% that they deserve more you know than what they get and yeah we should always you know remember them mm. in our prayers and always do our very best to help them and help those people in need yeah you know there's uh, i was reading about um there's police officers violent to women will be sacked under new guidance So it was uh you know in regards to the whole um I'm sure everyone's aware of the Sarah Everard case that happened. Yeah. Uh, where she was you know um abducted and murdered by a serving metropolitan police officer. So in 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 light of that they have uh, made this new guidance that police officers who are violent towards women will be sacked straight away. You know I completely understand that. Uh but um you know we see what happened with uh, George Floyd as well and it's it's not just against women. it can it happens against males as well uh so i think there needs to be a equal it, it should be equal to, uh, for everyone not just women but for men as well for children everyone it yeah. should be equal throughout the uh, throughout the board and and you know police um you know should be offering a sense of security definitely definitely that's their, that's their job yeah 100% instead of uh, you know spreading fear Yeah. Now I see a lot of people, you know, comes around on social media. Obviously mm. we don't always get the full picture of what's going on. Yeah. But um a lot of people when they post videos on social media and here and there, they you know, they portray the the police as uh you know as mm. they, they, they may be protecting us uh, very well, but they portray, portray it in a way which seems like they are, you know, very violent and you know, hostile towards uh, people. But you know, that may not always be the case, but yeah, yeah we should always be feeling a sense of security mm. um around the enforcements. Yeah, definitely. Uh you know there was another um there was a man uh, an elderly man who was uh, stabbed to death uh, in West London and he was on a mobility scooter. I mean it, he was he was believed to be in his 80s. I mean there's there's no reason for you know the the atrocious crimes that we see in the world going on every single day we see kids young kids getting kidnapped kids being raped kids being sold human trafficking and and this is this just puts everything into perspective and it makes you think of all of those things that are happening to innocent people around the world for no for absolutely no reason whatsoever if if there's an elderly man in a mobility scooter what damage what can he say to someone for them to end up stabbing them to death it's just it, it really makes you think and like it gives you you know all of these things are happening around the world but no one actually thinks about them but then mm-hmm. when something like this comes across the news you just t- take a step back and you look at the world 
and see all those atrocious things that are happening, and it's just such a shame. Yeah, th- these are definitely the things that you know awareness. Mm. There needs to be more awareness of. Um, sometimes, sometimes we kind of, I feel like we get too involved and too caught up with our own, you know, yeah. little little problems yeah. that we face day to day, mm. and you know, not 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 saying you that we're f- selfish. First world way, problems, but first world, yeah, yeah, definitely first world problems. But we need to look at. You know, mm. um, one thing which Islam teaches is hukuk uh, al-libad, which is the rights of mankind. Exactly, and that, that, that exactly. doesn't just mean your neighbor or someone mm. next to you or your family. That means every single person. Mm. And you should be helping every single person, you know. Every single person should be uh, in your thoughts, in your prayers, and whatever you can do to help, yeah. you should do. And then there's a famous quote from our beloved, uh, our caliph, uh, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be his help. But he said that there's not one, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said that there's not one country or nation which he does not think of before he goes to sleep, mm. which, uh, you know, which is a prime example, which is an exemplary yeah. uh, for all of us, for all of us to, you know, take uh, take heed from and to actually learn a lesson from and Definitely. think that you know we the world we're not the main character of you know of, of our of lives course, of we, course. we sometimes we saw, I was watching video a mm. few couple of videos last mm. night and it was just about this sort of syndrome which people main have, character, main character syndrome. syndrome yeah, yeah exactly. it's like people think that you know the, the world is revolved around them yeah 100% but yeah. like that, that's not the case we need to you know take a step back mm. look at the world and mm. see you know the genuine mm. issues people are facing mm. and do our very best even it you know even if you help one person yeah i mean you're you're helping that that's a that's a big help you're doing a very very good deed i mean um the holy quran further states that you know if you save one person is it is as if you save the whole of mankind exactly. which is which exactly. is which is a beautiful teaching which shows that you know like it doesn't matter if you can't help a thousand people a hundred people if you can't donate tens of thousands yeah. of pounds or you can't feed you know a whole nation or a whole town or a whole village even if you help one person um, survive or have a better life then you are doing your part in helping mankind and that is one of the rights which Allah which Allah the Almighty has told you know his creations to abide by the rights of Allah and the rights yeah. of mankind yeah um in terms of uh, in light of this as well, you know, I just want to discuss about um, the the Ahmadi Muslim community. You know, we are a Muslim community, and our founder was uh, the Promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of uh, Qadian, who founded this community um, in uh, 1889. And uh, you know, we are our community has spread uh, throughout many different countries of the world. And um, in terms of in Pakistan, we are, you know, religiously, we are persecuted in many different ways. And uh, we don't have any religious freedom in that country. We aren't even allowed to, you know, we're not allowed to have uh, our mosques are not allowed to be called mosques. And uh, we cannot put the, you know, the... um, the kalima, which is the you know the essence of our uh, of 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 Islam, which is uh, there is no worthy of worship except Allah, and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. We cannot even put that uh, on top of the on top of our mosques. I tell you, if I, if if we were walking along the street and I said peace be upon you, yeah. even that I could get even charged that you for, could yeah. you could you could get arrested if you were Ahmadi Muslim in Pakistan and you said Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu, which just means peace be upon you in Arabic. You could get arrested because you are. Uh, not deemed as a Muslim your basic human st- uh, rights are stripped so in light of that there was a Ahmadi man in um, Rabwa in Pakistan in Janab Nagar who was stabbed to death by another person who who was also a Muslim who was also a Hafiz which means he had memorized the entire Holy Quran by heart and uh, with s- someone who has that knowledge and all of that in in his mind, he knows everything because in the Holy Quran, it clearly states that there is no compulsion in religion, right? 
and to uphold everyone's rights. In the Holy Quran, it teaches you that you should uphold the rights of Christians, Jews, be it anyone. And if you see that their, um, you know, places of worship are being destroyed as well, you should go and help them. And even though he had all of this knowledge, he went and uh, he went to a bus stop and he stabbed an Ahmadi Muslim for just being an Ahmadi for no other reason. Even though he had no priors, no nothing like that. And you know there was uh, like onlookers uh, like standing by as well. They couldn't do anything. The police was close by as well. They couldn't do anything. I completely understand. You know it was like a vicious, quick attack maybe, and he overpowered uh, you know the uh, Ahmadi person. But um, the thing is, this happens. Like this happens on a daily this, this basis. happens on a daily basis. People are so self-centered, just like you were talking about main character syndrome. People only think about themselves in their lives. If we, uh, you know, there's many videos out there as well that you see that p- some p- someone would fall down in public, for example, and people, even an elderly lady, say she stumbles, she's she has a walking cane, but she falls down. No, people would just walk around her instead of helping her up. And people are just so involved and busy in their own lives that they don't care about anything else. It's such a shame. And, uh, you know, may Allah, the Almighty, um, you know, raise uh, this um, raise this man's status. His name was Nasir Ahmad. He was a 60-year-old man. He was just waiting for a bus. And, uh, you know, he, he got stabbed to, to death as well. And also the thing is that are we are we going to see justice justice being served for the man who committed the crime? I mean, he's uh, he's been he's been arrested, but you know, most most likely nothing nothing, nothing, nothing will really happen. Yeah, I mean, we've we see this, yeah. you know, and, and we hear about this and we see this on a day to day basis, mm. and we always hear tragic news from around the world from places where Ahmadi Muslims are deemed non-Muslims and. Not just deemed non-Muslims, they are seen as acceptable to be killed. I yeah, mean, like that is what is atrocious yeah. and is like is very alarming. Because, and because the so the clerics, the mullahs of uh, Pakistan, you know, they teach their young children that this is something. This is something that's right. This is something that will get you. You know, just like how um, suicide bombers trained their young children that this will get you straight into heaven. But you know that's not the case. It states clearly in the Holy Quran, in uh, Surah Maida, that uh, whoever kills one person, it's as if he has killed the whole of mankind. In chapter fifth of the Holy Quran, and whoever saves one life, it is as if he has saved the whole of mankind. There is no prejudice. There is no discrimination between anyone, any race, any religion. This is the true teaching of Islam. But you know the the mullahs and the clerics, they they twist these words. They twist the words of religion. They twist uh, everything, and they present it in such a way that uh, and and they won't follow these teachings themselves. That's that's the thing. They won't lead by example. They will just get other people to do it. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I've even seen cartoons which get played in places like Pakistan hmm. um, of you know just anti Ahmadi videos and cartoons that are played for children in school. It's in the yeah. syllabus. Yeah. It's in the textbooks. It's in you know the the work the curriculum for school and university and everything. Hmm. It's just it's just embedded within them. And then you know the the children grow up listening and hearing and learning the same things and that you know the the and living by the opinion of hmm. you know the older generation hmm. of the mullahs that are against essentially peace yeah yeah such a shame so dear listeners i hope you have been enjoying today's uh, show so far we'll be taking a very short break before we move on to our first segment of the morning which is in regards to can we trust apps with our health 
So please don't go anywhere. Do join us after the short break where we will be starting our first segment. It was for me that God caused the solar and lunar eclipses in heaven during the month of Ramadan and caused numerous other signs to be manifested on earth. And thus, in accordance with divine practice, my truth was conclusively established. God, in whose hand rests my life, is my witness that if you cleanse your hearts and seek other signs from God, the Omnipotent One is capable of showing a sign according to his own will and power, without being subject to any of your importunities. And I am sure that if you demand a sign from me, with a genuine desire to repent, and promise earnestly before God that if an extraordinary sign appears which is beyond human power, you will shed all this rancor and enmity, and purely for the sake of winning God's pleasure, will enter into the pledge of bet with me, then God, being so kind and merciful, will certainly show you some sign. However, it is not within my power to fix a period of two or three days for showing a sign, or to do exactly as you wish. It is the prerogative of God to choose the time. Writings of the Promised Messiah, salam. I tell you truly that on the day of judgment, next after association of anything with God, no vice shall rank as high as arrogance. This is a vice that humiliates a person in both worlds. Divine mercy rescues every believer in divine unity, except an arrogant one. Satan also claimed that he believed in the unity of God, but as he was afflicted with arrogance and looked contemptuously upon Adam, whom God loved and found fault with him, he was ruined and became accursed. Thus, the first sin, whereby one was ruined forever, was arrogance. We find anxiety and turmoil continue to spread and increase in the world. We find so much strife, restlessness and disorder. We find countries engaged in wars. Terrorist groups, political parties, major powers of the world, all consumed by their efforts to maintain or acquire supremacy and leaving no stone unturned in their efforts towards pursuing their objectives. With all these hostilities engulfing the entire world, we also find a grand solution. We find a serene voice, a voice of reasoning and logic, travelling across the world, forewarning that if these actions continue, then most surely the entire planet will succumb to a detrimental end. With the rapid decline of international relationship, the chances of the entire globe once again engaged in war is increasing daily. This time, wars will be fought with such weaponry that will leave widespread devastating effects. If a person is shot by a bullet, then it is sometimes possible for him to survive through medical treatment. But if a nuclear war breaks out, then those who are in the firing line will have no such luck. The weapons available today are so destructive that they could lead to generation after generation of children being born with severe genetic or physical defects. Thus, if the major powers do not act with justice and do not eliminate the frustrations of smaller nations, 
and do not adopt great and wise policies, then the situation will spiral out of all control and the destruction that will follow is beyond our comprehension and imagination. Even the majority of the world who does desire peace will also become engulfed by this devastation. This is the dreadful reality. By adopting aggressive policies and utilizing force, the world will be compelled to think of radical solutions, the most radicalized being war. Recently, a very senior Russian military commander issued a serious warning about the potential risks, risk of a, a nuclear war. It was his view that such a war would not be fought in Asia or elsewhere, but would be fought on Europe's border, and that the threat might originate and ignite from Eastern European countries. Though some people will say that this was simply his personal opinion, I myself do not believe his views to be improbable. But in addition, I also believe that if such a war breaks out, then it is highly likely that Asian countries will also become involved. Have these words of the Khalifa not been proven to be true to the letter? The crisis between Russia and Ukraine have brought back memories of the Cold War, with nearly a hundred member states of the United Nations failing to recognize the control of Crimea by the Russian Federation. Is that not a repeat of the past? When the Arab Spring first came to pass, many people in the world considered it to be a great means for the Arab world to come out of the Dark Ages and embrace modern times. The reality was quite the contrary. Is the world going towards this devastation? Hundreds of thousands of innocent lives have been lost, especially in the Middle East. How many more will it take for mankind to take note of the Khalifa's message? There's an urgent need to end all kinds of hatred and to lay the foundations of peace. This can only be done by respecting all kinds of sentiments of each other. If this is not done properly, honestly and with virtue, it will escalate into uncontrollable circumstances. So what is our responsibility? most surely to listen to and spread the words of the Khalifa and put them into practice. Save the world from the pit of doom that it is so closely standing upon. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. in the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show, dear listeners. Um, so we'll be swiftly moving on to our first segment of the morning. Uh, can we trust apps with our health? In this segment, we will discuss how medical care is increasingly dependent on wearables. Can technology like wearables identify medical problems quickly and make us act in healthier ways? So, um, in terms of this, like mediate, uh, mediation, uh, sorry, uh, meditation apps uh, have been increasing success, especially during the pandemic, where uh, when there was a significant focus on mental health. This led to higher usage of apps such as Calm, Headspace, Meditopia and Insight Timer. Older generations, na namely the millennials, have been seen to download such apps. 
than any other uh, age of cohort worldwide and were on average 20% more likely to use such apps than other age groups. Uh, in terms of this, you know, uh, like, you know, they speak, it speaks about heart rate trackers and uh, water intake and calories and stuff. So it's, uh, but the, you know, the NHS is heavily dependent on technology as well nowadays, right? Definitely. They, they have... They have to. They have to be. Otherwise, the workload. You know, you have to move with with the flow. And technology makes everything so much easier as well. You know, you can just get. Uh, nowadays, people can just get. You know, their smartwatches, and everything is just so much simpler, so much easier. Yeah, I mean, uh, wearables. You know, and it's just technology and apps and su- such things. They, you know, they're they're very beneficial. And with with the advancements in technology, we see you know huge advancements. So mm. using that uh, using that technology for the you know for the betterment of mankind, for yeah. the betterment of our you know the patients and those people who re- need it the most. I mean, it's very it's, it's good to see. It's mm. amazing to see that you know we're advancing in the right way. Yeah. I'm delighted to say that we do have online with us our first guest of the morning, Saira Arif. Uh, who comes from a legal background and started her career in digital health in the NHS. Sarah is an NHS Digital Pioneer Fellow and was awarded the Spirit Award 2020 by Digital Health. Good morning, welcome. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Just to begin with, could you please tell us uh, what um, Orca is and what it does? Yeah, sure. So um, I work for a company called Orca, um, and Orca actually stands for, um, it's an acronym, so it actually stands for the Organization for the Review of Care and Health Apps. Um, So we we essentially work with um, national bodies, um, healthcare providers at the NHS, uh, digital health innovators um, around the world, so quite global, um, and that's really to ensure that digital health technology is assessed and accredited according mm. to like relevant standards, guidelines, frameworks that have been obviously put in place um, to ensure its safety. Um, but I think our main mission, I'd say, is really to distribute and sort of um, create awareness around self, uh, safe digital health apps to patients and professionals and really to embed digital health technologies into sort of the clinical setting and healthcare setting. That's yeah. what we do in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah. And uh, how has health technology advanced in the last decade? Yeah, um, good question. Um, well, there's been a, quite a lot of advancement over the last uh, 10 years in health technology. I think we all know that. But um, if we firstly focus on just the last few years, you know, obviously the pandemic and the acceleration of he- the use of technology. Even um, if I go back to around 2015, when mm. um, Orca, the company I, I work for, um, was set up, um, you know, there were about 30,000 health apps on the market. Um, and today, uh, we see we see actually see over three hundred thousand yeah. health apps, um, healthcare apps on the market. So, really, really big growth. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, during the pandemic alone mm. um, in twenty twenty, um, there was about sort of ninety thousand health apps that were released into the market today. So that's quite a lot. So if, you know, math's not great, but yeah. that's about two hundred fifty apps a day or so, I would say. Mm. Um, so huge, huge growth in um, digital health technologies and, and apps uh, for health. Um, I think it's, uh, it's it's okay to say that the pandemic's actually led to a really big, dramatic increase of use of apps, right, across professionals, across patients. Yeah. And some of our research that we've done actually um, shows that just the search for digital health technologies has increased by 343% following the first lockdown. That's mm. a huge, huge increase. You know, um, we've got a lot of people that, I think on the news and in the media, we've seen a lot of people reached out for um, health apps support the mental health during lockdown and 
um, you know, words like anger, fear, anxiety, all that huge increase in, in, in percentage rise in, in the search for apps around those themes as well. Yeah. So just even the lo- lo- advancements of the last two years even, really remarkable to see. But mm. I think if we're thinking a bit more generally around technology um, and, and health technology, um, you know, things like AI, artificial intelligence, you know, yeah. there's been huge break breakthroughs around the world um, mm. in things like how artificial intelligence is used. So, you know, I, I personally use a, an app myself. It's a, a, what we call an AI chatbot. So it's actually essentially not a person behind the screen, but it's yeah. a, a very intelligent bot. Mm. Um, you know, there's apps like that that are completely taking over the market around mental health. Mm. You know, thinking about, you know, things like even uh, virtual reality, so VR. Yeah. You know, we, we're seeing VR being used in training and, and education settings within healthcare. So, you know, I read the other day that um, even surgery was being looked at. So that's, I mean, mm. that's amazing, you know, for, imagine a surgeon in, in London yeah. um, instructing a surgeon in a, in a developing world, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. It's, it's really, really interesting to see. And I think you mentioned earlier uh, wearables. Yeah. You know, wearables, I think, are a huge advancement. Um, we're seeing them literally everywhere, aren't we? And, mm. you know, people are much more educated, much more self-aware of their health because yeah. I think they can obviously monitor their own, you know, blood pressure, heart rate, you know, steps, et cetera. Hmm. Um, and I think often with, with wearables, um, I feel like I, I, have, I personally, having my wearable, feel much more um, informed. And, yeah. you know, I've got my own insights about my own health stored in my app or my phone, for example. And, hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's uh, much more insight than perhaps even my doctor has on his, on his clinical system hmm. know, at, at some point. So I think along with all these uh, technological sort of advancements, I feel like it, the biggest thing that's happened is, from a human perspective, yeah. um, it's really brought a sense of self-awareness to many people. So, mm. you know, you've, you've got health technology actually over the last decade, you know, increasingly empowering people to manage their health at their, at their own home, yeah. right? Um, and I think the other thing, to be really mindful of that, I think personally for me, there this seems to be a big recognition of how diverse our you know, citizens are, how, mm. how diverse our patients are because we're actually seeing like, you know, where everyone's skill set is around technology, yeah. right? There, there's some people who, um, you know, the digi- digital literacy is not as great, but then at least we know that we can help them mm. and we can educate them and create awareness and bring them on that journey with us, you know? Yeah. Um, and then on the other hand, we've got um, digital health uh, innovators or, you know, um, let's say app developers, they're building technologies now with like inclusion in mind. So they're being mindful of what they need to look out for so they don't leave anyone you know outside of that kind of uh, that box so so yeah huge huge advancements over the last 10 years i'd say hmm definitely so you spoke about you know um the uh, virtual assistants or AIs like helping um, the chat boxes that you can speak to people with about like mm. your mental health and stuff but you know mm. the human connection that like uh, actual therapist has is never there and that's like the yeah. key aspect of like therapy to improve your mental health as well yeah, 100%. I, I think with technology, I don't think we can replace that human connection because that, no. you know, we're human beings. We, we need that sense of feeling, empathy, emotion, you know, and we get that from our face-to-face connection, don't we? And I think yeah. what, what, the techn- what technology's benefit is and what technology can really do is really complement some of the, the face-to-face interaction. So in, in, a, in a world where we are now, you know, the NHS climate, mm. um, you know, quite overstretched, um, you know, I think that we can use technology um, in, in sort of, you know, in conjunction with face-to-face, you know, to yeah. speed things up, to provide a bit more capacity 
um, for those doctors and those healthcare professionals who may not have that much time anymore, you know, mm. things like that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, you mentioned earlier, you know, the increase in the number of apps that we have available mm. for us. Um, and, you know, there's an increase in wearables as well. But how much can these apps can we how much can we trust them in terms of diagnosis and treatment i mean are they very trustworthy or you know as do we have to kind mm. of is there a certain criteria that needs to be matched for these apps for us to trust them yeah so they, i'd say um yes and no to whether they can be trusted so i'll start with the sort of the no um so uh, our research has shown that 80 percent of apps actually fall between quality threshold so you know we assess we assess apps um uh, under things like you know usability and accessibility, uh, data privacy, data security, yep. um, clinical professional assurance. So you know if you're looking at those kind of headings and all the standards under those, um, you know those kind of things, 80% of apps fall below this. So i.e. They, they're not deemed trustworthy enough um, because they don't meet, meet the relevant standards. So for example, going on the app store as a as a you know average average person living in our community. You know, you can download an app that that claims to diagnose and offer treatments, but they they won't have evidence to back it up, and that can be extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. However, um, yes, they can be trusted also because there are apps out there that are developed and offered in conjunction, perhaps with a healthcare professional. You know, they may have the relevant evidence. They might um, meet the relevant standards that we set out, the frameworks that are in place. You know, um, by by law, um, and in those apps. Um, we're seeing can be trusted to offer diagnosis and treatment that patient needs. Um, again, I don't think they would replace um, the kind of full diagnosis a clinician would give you face to face, but I do think they can help get you there to a point where you know you can have that conversation with a clinician, for example. Yeah. So um, I know at Orca um, we you know we review and assess digital health apps, and you know they obviously get published to um, what we call an app library or formulary for professionals to prescribe from them, and and for patients to know what's safe. That's that's how we work. So once they're reviewed and they kind of meet certain standard, they get published so that we can be very transparent with the public and say, this is safe for you to use, that kind of thing. So yeah. um, um, I, I have to also say, you know, when we talk about trust, I think it's also very important to mention um, the issue about risk, right? Because that, that essentially that's what we're looking at, aren't we? Yeah, so yeah, definitely. If, you think about, if you think about a simple app, right, that, um, I don't know, say signpost you to um, a local health center in your in your area, right? It, it doesn't hold a lot of risk, I'd say, because it's essentially pointing you to like a map and, and locating a clinic for you, right? Um, but on the other end, uh, if you've got an app that's starting to say, okay, we're going to diagnose you, we're going to treat a condition, we're going to treat a symptom, you know, the risk becomes much, much higher. And that's when, you know, digital health innovators or developers will actually need to show us the relevant evidence under those relevant standards to then be deemed you know, trustworthy. So, yeah. so that's that's um, how I, I think they can be trusted if they do re- meet the kind of relevant, um, you know, relevant uh, standard. Mm-hmm. Um, one one big thing I have learned through through my journey at Walker and just learning about digital health apps is you know the star rating, and um, that you see on the app yep. stores, yep. right? And um, I know normally our kind of mind is like, okay, if something's four star, five star, you know, it yeah, must yeah. be an amazing app. Right, mm. um, and and that actually for me, the biggest lesson I've had over the last few years, or last three years even, is that um, the the rating uh, or the high five star rating doesn't correlate to the quality and safety of the app at yeah. all. Like, there's nothing to do with that. That the five star rate, the rating that you see, is basically just user feedback. Right, it's just feedback on whether you know because you can have an app that looks really amazing, you know, works really well, yeah. beautiful colors. 
a great user experience, but actually, if that doesn't meet the quality standard, it's a really bad app and it's a very dangerous app. You know, I'll give you an example. We found in, in our assessment, in, we have um, a whole team of assessors that look at all these apps and go through all the different guidelines to make sure they're meeting all of these standards. We came across apps like um, an app that simply says to you, you know, we, we can, they, well, they claim to say that they, they can read your blood glucose levels if you hold your thumb over the camera. Now, that is, is completely, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, it's a disaster because yeah. for anyone who knows, it, some things, you can't do that. And, you know, if you're saying to an average, uh, average person in the, in the community um, that you can actually do that, it's quite dangerous because then, you know, imagine the patient going away thinking their blood's fine and then suddenly they have a, a hypo. It's completely, you know, it's very, very dangerous. Um, we, we've seen, unfortunately, a lot of apps um, on, the, on the app stores that even claim to be a mental health app, you know, claim to give uh, therapeutic advice, etc., but actually have steps on how to commit suicide. Now, that is hugely dangerous and yeah, it's widely it, yeah. available to public members. And this is why we, we, it's very important for us to make sure we're, looking at apps according to those standards um, because if they don't meet them then they can't be deemed trustworthy but uh, gladly to, uh, what, what I can say is that there are a number of apps now that are coming through our doors that are, we are being that are being reviewed and ones that don't meet those quality thresholds we're going back and saying well let's work with you and try to get you to that point where you do meet the standards because you know it's a great app you just might not have a specific thing you know in your apps that covers uh, privacy you know for example so yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a big, it's a huge journey, and I think we, we're slowly getting there. Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. And like, what opportunities do you see for healthcare and technology? You know, you know, being intertwined mm. in the in the future. As in, we've already seen a lot of stuff coming in. You know, just like the Apple Watch or Fitbits, or you yeah. know, other devices that you can wear around your chest and around your wrist. Uh, but what does the future hold? Uh, what's your What's your opinion on that? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um, I think. See, I think that's the number one thing for me. Um, I think if we're looking at this, this decade alone, you know, by 2030, say, you know, digital health, I think, will be fully integrated into our health services. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're slowly seeing it now. Yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that the COVID uh, pandemic really accelerated technology for us. And we're seeing this already with like video consultations, you know, electronic prescriptions, all the kind of NXPAT stuff that you, you, you see now. And I think because of that, we're now seeing more enthusiasm and usage of digital in all walks of life. So I definitely think that digital health will be fully integrated into health service because of that. Um, I think the second thing is um, every digital health solution or every digital health technology, I think will eventually, by 2030, say, be quality assured. You know, so that's what some of the work we're doing now to make people aware that you know, things need to be uh, quality checked and there needs to be sort of a, a stamp of approval on there to say that it's trustworthy. You know, so I think by the end of the decade, we're going to get to that point where everything that we see technology-wise will have some sort of quality marks behind it, mm-hmm. uh, especially health apps. Um, yeah. I think also as the market sort of matures, um, healthcare professionals, you know, doctors, et cetera, they're going to be looking at more digital health solutions to help their patients, right? So yeah. that, I think, goes into another opportunity in the future where I think digital health will start to be prescribed, just like medicine. You know, we, we're, we're seeing that now in, in Orca where healthcare professionals are actually prescribing or recommending health apps from like our digital health app libraries. Um, you know, I, I definitely think this will become the norm uh, amongst the sort of health and social care settings. Um, and I, I, yeah, increasingly, I think they'll start prescribing apps to patients like they do medicine. Um, I think Germany, um, I think it was Germany, um, they're, they're a great example because 
still already there. You know, we're kind of slightly behind, you know, in the UK. Um, in, in, I think, 2020, you know, obviously when COVID hit, they came out with their Digital Care Act, right? And it was regular, actual legislation that actually led the way in Europe, which allowed doctors to formally prescribe digital health apps in the same way that they do traditional medicines or like talking therapies. So it's a huge shift from where we were 10 years ago to where we're trying to get to. Um, and I think also just, just to mention, you know, in the future, um, all these interventions that digital health technologies can help with, I really think that they could help bring down, you know, or I guess significantly reduce the levels of um, long-term conditions, long-term illnesses, chronic disease, etc. Um, because I think, uh, you know, I've mentioned the NHS is completely overstretched. And so if, if digital health technologies can help that in the current crisis, then that, I think that's a, a great thing, you know? Yeah. Um, there's there's two other I think predictions I probably have in my in my mind for the future. Um, one, one number one I think is also around data. There's something about data. I mean, I'm not a huge data scientist or anything, yeah. but I think there's something about data opportunities um, where if you can imagine our data at the moment, it is shared um, quite in a limited way. Um, so in the future, I think you know um, I think data and I think the discussions are actually happening already. Imagine our data can actually truly be owned and updated and accessed by us and professionals very instantly. You know, so uh, I have an example. My mum unfortunately went into hospital last November, and you know she went to A and E, and they didn't have all her record and all her kind of allergies and and, and her previous health record and health issues on on file. You know, because the data hadn't been shared with A and E. So. That, that that's a huge issue because if my mum's allergic to penicillin mm-hmm. but the doctor in A&E doesn't know then they yeah. could give a penicillin and cause even further reaction yeah. and so it's, it's, it's kind of using data to a, a point where you're making better decisions for the patient and improving outcomes yeah. um, and I think finally just really really finally the biggest opportunity I think health tech or health technology will provide is um, again I think I said it in the beginning is the ability for people to take over or take control over their health and care uh, so to get more educated about their health and to prevent the illnesses from even happening in the first place. You know, because right now there's a huge generation of information overload. We've got Google, we've got everything at our fingertips. And, you know, we can start looking at how we make ourselves healthier, you know, b- before we even get to the point where you've got heart disease or you've got diabetes, you know. And amongst our communities, you know, diabetes, heart disease, all that kind of stuff is really prevalent, isn't it? And I think if we can start using technology in a way that we're controlling what we do now, it'll prevent us from getting ill long term. Definitely, definitely. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on The Voice of Islam and giving us, you know, a lot of insight about uh, the topic, about apps and healthcare. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day. Thank you so much, brothers. Have a day. 0-0-8-6-8-7-7-8-7-8 is the number to call if you want to join in on the discussion. We just spoke about can we trust apps with our health? And we just spoke to Sarah Araf, who was a, a product manager at Orca, who gave us you know a lot of information and, and a very deep insight on this topic. Um, we see advancements in technology everywhere and healthcare is you know is one of the places where we do want to see advancements and we want to see a positive advancements obviously um 
as Sarah said as well, there's some apps out there that you know can't be trusted, but there's also a lot of apps there that can be trusted and are beneficial for us. We have wearables, you know, such as the Apple Watch, and I know I know my dad. Where at at the end of the day, where he sits down <laughs> and he he gets a notification on his Apple Watch saying that you haven't done any walking, mm-hmm. you haven't done any physical activity to get up and go walk. Yeah. He gets up and you know does a couple of rounds of the living room. So mm-hmm. you know you know the the there are a lot of advantages mm-hmm. with uh, um, these uh, apps and this healthcare, you know, just technology. Uh, in general and you know we hope to see you know more 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 and more help and more and more products mm. coming through um in this in this uh, area yeah you know just as uh, Allah the Almighty has also stated that there is nothing that has been created which doesn't have a purpose be it good or be it bad everything has its advantages and disadvantages so dear listeners we hope you've been enjoying today's show so far we'll be taking a very short break for the news please do join us after the news God knows the little nuances of you The little things that like only you would know that you think about secretly. You don't tell anybody else. Just between you and him. Before I accepted Islam, before I learned about Islam, I was worried about it. I thought it was something to be worried about. The more and more I kept thinking about what religion should I choose? What belief should I have? A dominating thought came into my mind. Is that choose the one that describes God the best? After learning about Islam and learning that the misconceptions are just that misconceptions I learned that it's something to embrace and it's not something to be afraid of and it's a guide for you I believe that God paved a path that I could not veer from that led me straight to Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Al Islam The thing that's going to capture that captured my heart is the living God Nobody else has this you can go you can go do good anywhere You can be persecuted in a lot of groups. Right? But you can't get that living God. That is ours for this age. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Welcome back to the breakfast show dear listeners. So we have been discussing is uh, you know technology is wearable technology safe in terms of uh, health can we trust apps with our health? are they really trustworthy uh, we did have a very you know um interesting discussion with one of our guests uh before um in in regards to this um and you know um in terms of uh, what islam says about this is that the promised messiah uh, peace and blessings of allah be upon him he was the founder of the ahmadiyya muslim community he he shed some light on this topic where we find that he did not like to get treatment from a physician who had no belief in the existence of god almighty and believed that the power of healing lied in his own hands such uh, as such a, a physician would claim divinity to himself you know this uh, this short quote of of him is it really puts things into perspective and you know it really makes you think that um especially for us ahmadi muslims what it, you know what it truly is and where you know healing truly comes from what that where everything basically comes from and who we see need to seek guidance from is Allah almighty and we need to have faith in him and you know we see loads of these miracles happening around the world as well people who are you know who are terminally ill yet somehow like the doctors have told them that you know nothing can be done for them but somehow through the power of prayer and uh, you know through them um truly supplicating to the almighty um the impossible becomes the, the possible. impossible becomes possible yeah Definitely, exactly yeah. exactly 
Couldn't have said it better, better myself. <laughs> yeah, and that that just brings us to the end of you know our previous topic before mm. the break. Can we trust apps with our health? And you know, it's a very very interesting topic. But moving on to our second segment, impact of gender roles on society. Uh, in this segment, we will discuss how men's and women's roles differ. A feminist movement benefits men, and other benefits both. But what are the benefits of having different primary roles for males and females? The existence of uh, different primary roles for males and females allow a form of, you know, clear distinction between the two. It allows for a sense of security within the genders, and specific gender roles also take into consideration, you know, the biological differences between male and females, allowing both to take part in roles that suit their physical ability. But, you know, there also are drawbacks and research shows that, you know, current gender roles strongly correlate with uh, with plough used in tradition agriculture societies. Uh, the reason is that the plough gave men a competitive advantage over women in agriculture work as it required greater upper body strength and bursts of power. Over centuries, um, this uh, cemented the idea that men were naturally better at work outside the home and women more suited to domestic works and yeah i mean you know male and females we see in society and biologically there is a difference and obviously uh we you know we push for equality and um you know w- within society but you know equality does have a, a very 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 vast meaning we do um we do have a brief audio clip of his holiness in regards to this so we will listen to that one uh, briefly Children have the right to be brought up by their mothers. Now, if mothers have this priority, it is impossible for those children to have a greater lean, uh, leaning towards their fathers than to the mothers later on. And even if between 9 and 12, they are given the right, I mean the parents are given the preference, um, I'm sorry, the, the fathers are given the pre- preference. The period of this just three years is not as strongly impressionable as the period which has passed before. So that was um, His Holiness Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih Rabih, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And you know, he beautifully put into words that what the roles the different roles of parents the the mother and the father have on their children and their impacts and you know even in society like there there's different roles of uh, of women and men you know they, they, we we speak about equality all the time i'm not saying that um you know there shouldn't be any equality of course there should be equality but people need to understand that there are some things that like men are better suited for and something some things women are better suited for and that's just how that physically and just um psychologically as well that's just how we are created and we d- we don't we don't really have a choice in that matter that's just how we are born and that's just how everything works definitely definitely and we see we see in this day and age you know a, a huge push for equality within society and right rightfully so there should yeah. be equality in uh, you know in his own respects and then mm. uh, uh, females should have you know what they what they are do with, with you know their rights exactly, and then men should exactly. have their rights as well yeah. but you know I feel like we see a lot of people who by the name of feminism I'm not mm. saying that this is true feminism mm. but by the name of feminism yeah. and by the by the name of acceptance in society and mm. all, all these different things we see 
we see that feminism or you know as uh, you know gender equality has pushed mm. more towards having one gender superior than the other certain so called feminists and i and i put my fingers up in, uh, in speech marks <laughs> you know um they will push for rights for women to have more rights than men which yeah. which which is not yeah. the case which is not the case definitely and true feminism mm. true feminism is equality between the genders taking into account biological differences mm. social differences economic differences and that is true uh, equality and the the best feminist hmm. the biggest feminist the feminist that did the most work in this entire world hmm. was none other than the holy prophet uh, of uh, of of islam may peace yeah. and blessings of allah be upon him and we see this we see countless countless examples in his hmm. life i mean <coughs> we see you know women were given the rights to vote rights hmm. to property inheritance hmm. divorce hmm. marriage just just as recently in terms yeah. of the history of humankind hmm. This was just given to women recently but if yeah. you go back 1400 years ago to mm. the time of the holy prophet may peace and blessings of mm. Allah be upon him he, he you know he brought these rights into society with you know the coming of yeah. Islam yeah exactly and you know in in terms of that uh, we did have our annual convention our jalsa salana about 2 uh, weeks ago um and on that uh, you know it's it's just a gathering it's a huge gathering in Hampshire Alton of um Um, like us, us Ahmadi Muslims, and uh, you know we have other dignitaries that come from other countries as well. Where His Holiness um, Hazrat Khalifa Al-Masih Al-Khamis, uh, the fifth Caliph uh, of the Ahmadi Muslim community, delivered a beautiful address on the second and on the third day. It's a three-day convention. On the second day, uh, he delivered the address on the side of the women's uh, in regards to upholding, and you know what. Uh, Islam teaches about women's rights and even on the third day he spoke about this as well in great depth and many of uh, the listeners who were not you know who were not even muslims the, the feedback we received from them was that you know these teachings are truly beautiful and even you cannot find these teachings in christianity or judaism either that what islam truly teaches and how it upholds the rights of women definitely definitely and um you know you know the weekend after this annual mm. convention uh, our caliph um may Allah be his helper he stated in the friday sermon which he delivered uh, at uh, islamabad masjid uh, mubarak mosque in islamabad tilford and he said that you know some of the feedback he he got was that some people said that you know they didn't know that islam gave such uh, you know women such rights yeah. and he had never heard of such things before and now he you know the person understood and many people have the same mm. same reaction that they now understand how how islam gives genders their due rights so i'm delighted to say that we do have online with us our next guest of the morning sarash ikbal who is um whose role involves working with schools colleges and other educational establishments across the uk to connect young girls with inspiring female role models here in the uk and you know they empower empower uh, young girls to aim high and reach their full potential assalamu alaikum peace be upon you and good morning and welcome to the breakfast show welcome good morning how are you doing this morning yeah i'm not too bad thank you how about yourself yep yep uh, doing good um could you just uh, uh, begin with um how you know inspiring girls um was created and why it was created yeah so inspiring girls international is a global charity Yeah. Um dedicated to raising the aspirations of young girls around the world by connecting them with inspiring female role models. Hmm. It was set up by Miriam Gonzalez Dorantes in 2016. Yeah. And it has grown extremely fast. We're currently operating in 28 different countries across 
six continents. Mm. Um, and one of the newest additions to the country teams is the UK, which I'm really excited to announce. Definitely. And most mm. of our work is based on lots of, sort of statistics and research. So, for example, we know that girls experience a 30% drop in confidence between the ages of 18 to 14. Yeah. Um, so this is one of the you know, big driving factors behind our work. Mm-hmm. And just coming back to you know the topic of our segment in terms of you know gender roles, do you think that both genders have uh, access to equal opportunities, and if so, why, and how? Well, at inspiring girls, you know, striving for equal opportunities is, is is very much at the forefront of all our work, both locally and globally. Um, and, and the reason why we do what we do is for a very long time, men and women haven't had equal opportunities. So we want today's generation of girls to grow up in a world where equal opportunities are the norm and not something they need to fight for. Yep. Um, and again, we, we do this based on some, you know, research and statistics. Um, for example, another one is, you know, by the age of six, we know that children are already beginning to classify jobs along gender lines. Um, and by the age of 12... You know, fifty percent of girls aspire to to gender stereotype roles. Yeah, yeah. But how does you know your your your, your program, your inspiring girls, empower girls to combat these uh, gender stereotypes? So we do this in multiple different ways. Um, we work with all girls from the ages of say seven to nineteen, so that mm-hmm. includes all primary, secondary, um, and colleges and sixth forms, and we introduce them to inspirational female models, uh, role models in different ways. So this is through workshops networking events we do role model talks and visits in schools um, and other online and offline activities Mm -hmm. we also have a young ambassadors network Mm -hmm. which is a global network of girls aged 11 to 15 Um, and obviously they're at the heart of everything we do Um, we believe in a young ambassadors of today are the future leaders of tomorrow yep definitely definitely and with the work that you do what sort of you know positive outcome have you seen what sort of you know uh, the the outcome of the girls that you work with and you know the people that you work with what positive effect have you seen with uh, everything that you do so together with you know with our 28 country teams and, and again working with the extensive school networks um we we essentially help build their confidence so we put in front of them inspirational role models you know they talk about their not only their career journeys but their personal journeys um, and, and how they've got to where they have, you know, challenges they've overcome, barriers they've overcome, and they they impart their advice, their first-hand advice, um, and, and, you know, we help to build their confidence that way, to instill that belief in them that they can do whatever their male counterparts can do. Yep. Um, and uh, to, you know, think think high, aim big. Yep, yep, yep. Sarish, thank you so much for joining us today on The Breakfast Show. It was a pleasure speaking to you and thank you for giving us an insight about, you know, the work that you do with uh, Inspiring Girls. Thank you very much for having me. Have a great day. Take care. You too. Bye. And again, the number to call if you do want to, you know, discuss with us or just share your points or just have a ask a question or whatnot. 0208-687-7878. That is 0208-687-7878. And just you know you're coming back to the the whole you know gender roles and mm. islam you know outlines this very very deeply very very you know clear cut mm. there's there's many 
there's so many different things mentioned in the Quran yeah. mentioned in hadith you know, the sayings of the the holy prophet uh, peace and blessings of Allah mm. uh, be upon him and not just said by him but also you know he carried out he was exemplary yeah. in liberating women uh, in being you know a feminist a true feminist mm. um not you know the likes of which we do not see um you know uh, in in the modern days yeah well. yeah definitely so in in regards to that you know the holy prophet uh, peace and blessings of allah be upon him has stated that even as fingers of two hands are equal so are human beings equal no one has any rights any superiority to claim over another you are like brothers o men your god is one and your ancestor is one an arab holds no superiority over a non-arab white over a black person or vice versa but only the extent to which he discharges his responsibility to god and man only the god-fearing people merit with a preference with god i mean it's a beautiful teaching yeah, i mean exactly, there's not much more exactly. we can say about it. it's a beautiful mm. teaching just goes to show that in in terms of in front of god we might mm. be different we might be yeah. at different places we might be born with more money less mm. money we might be you know in poverty we might be wealthy Hmm. But the only difference in front of Allah the Almighty is your the amount of God fearing you know you have within within you how the, yeah. your righteousness yeah. your spirituality that is the only thing that differentiates you from other people in front hmm. of God hmm. anything that you have you know so so someone who earns you know a million pounds a year if he donates ten thousand hmm. which is a small percentage of his money um, in a year yeah. then. You know that that might look like a big donation, but someone who only has you know a hundred pounds mm. and he donates say ten pounds, that's ten percent of his, you know, annual income or yeah. annual you know the money that mm. he receives from wherever. Mm. That goes further in the eyes of Allah the Almighty yeah, than someone definitely. who donates you know a, li- a, lit- a little bit in terms of what. It, Some, what someone, he for example, if they have a thousand pounds and they donate say um, even a couple hundred. Yeah. If someone who has a hundred pounds that donates, say, like twenty or thirty, that will go much further. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, yeah. that is the only differentiation which um, Allah the Almighty does in terms mm. of in terms of creation, in terms of his, uh, the man and woman. And one thing which we see within Islam is that the roles that are given to men and women, the way to you know receive blessings, the way to receive reward from Allah the Almighty, is is different for men and women, as in men are obliged to go to the mosque and pray five times a day yeah. to get the same amount of reward a woman can pray by herself not in congregation mm. as men are taught mm. to do by herself at home yeah. and receive the same amount of reward exactly I mean it just goes to show that the biological differences mm. the needs the necessities the roles of men and women are taken into account here yeah. and you know, you know in that's why you know some of, some of these um, some non-Muslims, some even some Muslims, you know, they pres- put forth this allegation that why cannot women be imams of the mosque and like lead lead prayer just as men do? The answer to this is f- first, first of all, you know, the bio- biological differences between a man and a woman, and I'm sure you know everyone understands that. And because of that, y- during that time of the month, the woman is not allowed to, you know, they're not allowed to pray, they're not allowed to, you know, touch the Holy Quran um, until they do become pure. And another thing is that the women are allowed to lead um, people in prayer, and that is women. They're allowed to lead women in prayer. They can be an imam to women. Definitely, and one thing I'd just like to add here that 
a lot of people are obsessed with the, have this obsession with you know why can't women be an imam but mm. being an imam is not a, the highest rank exactly. of someone i mean exactly. a, a woman can become a historian mm. yeah. you know a scholar of the quran a hafiz you yeah. know a mem- someone who's memorized the whole quran mm. if you look at the wife of the holy uh, holy prophet mm. peace and blessings of allah be upon him it was said by the holy prophet about her hazrat aisha that if you want to learn half of faith then learn go to her. learn it from her yeah, exactly. and it has not said that about he has not said that about anyone mm. anyone else exactly so it just goes to show that you know Okay, a woman cannot become an imam in the sense lead men mm. in prayer. She mm. can lead women mm. in prayer, but she could become historian. Uh, yeah. You know, a scientist. Anything uh, else? You know, yeah. a scholar of mm. uh, hadith, a scholar mm. of the Quran, a scholar mm. of you know jurisprudence, and mm. just learn these different things and teach it to other people. I mean, that. What? Why do we not have a discussion about that? Mm. Where there is equality. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, we see that the status of women is mentioned in the Holy Quran as well. And when where it speaks about uh, you know, um, Hazrat Maryam. Um, Hazrat uh, Maryam alayhi salam that um, may Allah be pleased with her she was the mother of Jesus uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and uh, you know it truly shows her status that um, you know she was a truthful woman and she was a woman of God and there's not many me- uh, there's not like you know a lot of people are mentioned by name in the Holy Quran she is one of them and not just that a whole chapter a is whole named, chapter is, is dedicated yeah. towards her in the Holy Quran, and you know that's just—it just goes to show that, in in the eyes of Allah the Almighty, women and men, in terms of status, they are equal. There's there's no like there's no hierarchy in that sense, right? It's just that you know, obviously, we have different roles in society because that's just the way Allah the Almighty has made us, and it also states in the Holy Quran, whoso does good, whether male or female, and is a believer shall enter paradise and they shall not be wronged chapter uh, chapter 4 verse 125 you know it's it's clearly islam um teaches the true meaning of uh, you know the true meaning of life and the true beautiful teachings of islam are there are put forth to show you that you even you know you won't even find these teachings out in the world today that you you still see gender inequality you know people speak about the gender pay gap it's still there but you know, Islam truly puts forth the true, beautiful teachings of Islam. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And you know, if, if you are you know regular listeners of the show, and when we do discuss you know this 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 topic or just about genders in in general, the rights of women and whatnot, one thing which does get mentioned a lot, and it it has rightfully so, it should be mentioned a lot, it should be repeated a lot. That one hadith, a saying of the Prophet, Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings all be upon him, he said that paradise lies under the feet of your mother. Hmm. It doesn't say that about a father, a brother, a sister. It says, your, it says, you know, paradise lies under the feet of your mother. Yeah. Which goes to show, you know, the the rank, the mm. status of a mother. And it also says in the Holy Quran that to your parents, do not even say, you know, of, do not make a little, even the slightest cry mm. of uh, displeasure mm. towards your parents. Not, you know, not just your father, but your, your mother yeah. as well is yeah. included there as well. And just and you know it says paradise lies under the feet of our mothers, yep. not our fathers. Yep. And you know when the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, once uh, one occasion he was inquired about, uh, you know who who like, um, forgive me if if, I, if I, correct me if I'm wrong that um, who 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 has the highest status in terms of uh, um, our family? Yep. Right. Yep. And uh, three times, three times he replied your mother, and the fourth time he replied your father. Yep. Right. I mean, it just and goes goes to show. Just, just goes to show. The fact yeah, that exactly. The rights of women within Islam. Exactly. And Islam is not a religion which, um, which which you know dis, 
just you know completely disregards completely disregards yeah, women. Exactly. It's rather it, it liberates it, it, uh, women. It liberates them and it uplifts them and it truly shows their true status. And you know we do have a brief audio clip um, in regards to this of um, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed. May Allah be pleased with him. So let's listen to that one briefly. What sort of careers are Islamic women allowed to take up? Any career would be all right, which uh, does not interfere with the purpose of their creation as women. You have to, uh, you are held mainly responsible, and this is how you are made differently from men, to give birth to children, the future generation of mankind, look after them and bring them up in a way as the future of mankind is brighter and better than before. At least it is as good as your present, not worse. This is a very great responsibility and a very grave responsibility on the shoulders of the ladies. If they are drawn much more to other hollow attractions and activities of life, which uh, uh, begins to tell on their main function and which begins to divert their attention from the main purpose for which they are created, then to that extent humanity as such would begin to suffer. And you may leave such generations behind you as would be in a worse state of, 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 of uh, um, human relationship because they will, be not, they will not be well brought up, well taught. So any profession which begins to interfere with this primary function of ladies would be to that much discouraged. To that degree it should be discouraged. But that is not a general rule. Some ladies <coughs> have such professions as are very important for the lady folk itself. For instance, lady doctors. Their profession also perhaps interferes to some degree with the primary purpose of creation, yet uh, it helps the women folk in general and that in itself is a very useful occupation. So I am all out for ladies to become lady doctors, particularly uh, specializing in the diseases of ladies so that they don't have to go to men. But otherwise, there are certain professions which uh, draw them out to uh, a, a life pattern where they are ill-suited. Like this, this young girl asked about the, uh, being an advocate. If you are an advocate of a solicitor type, where you have more office work and no appearances in the court, that could be acceptable to a degree. But if you become an advocate, appearing in the courts, meeting the criminals in this and that, it would be bad for you, for your own character, for your own safety as well, and for your own, for your own personality as well, and also it will uh, affect your home life. So that I shouldn't advise like uh, her grandfather didn't. <laughs> but it has to every in every uh, occupation, every profession has to be judged on merit. The guiding principle I have told you that you should think within you what is the main purpose of your creation in a way which is different from man. Allah could make us exactly the same. 
but he has made us different and because our functions are different and the concomitant responsibilities of those functions are also different so whatever we do in life we should not let this main purpose of our creation be interfered with some beautiful words there um you know put forth by the fourth caliph of the md muslim community hazrat khalifatul masih rabi may allah be his helper Uh, may Allah be pleased with him. Um, so, dear listeners, we hope you've been enjoying today's show so far. We'll be taking a very short break. And uh, do join us after the short break where we'll be discussing our last segment of the morning. Writings of the Promised Messiah, a.s. I tell you truly that on the day of judgment, next after association of anything with God, no vice shall rank as high as arrogance. This is a vice that that humiliates a person in both worlds divine mercy rescues every believer in divine unity except an arrogant one satan also claimed that he believed in the unity of god but as he was afflicted with arrogance and looked contemptuously upon adam whom god loved and found fault with him he was ruined and became accursed thus the first sin whereby one was ruined forever was arrogance bismillahir rahmanir rahim in the name of allah the most gracious ever merciful welcome back to the breakfast show dear listeners uh we'll be you know moving on to our last segment of the morning tube strikes their reason and impact um so where um you know we're constantly seeing tube strikes alerts um and being delayed or having to change our way of transport to suit these strikes Um is it just a way to increase wages or something deeper than that? You know in this segment we'll be looking at more information behind these strikes and the possible solutions. So on 19th August um is the fifth consecutive 24-hour tube strike this year. I mean there are a lot of demands. I mean what's mm. the, what's the reason for this? So yeah. you know the the Royal uh, Mar- uh, Maritime and Transport Union the RMT mm. demands that assurances of jobs mm. pensions mm. and working conditions be mm. made especially with the ongoing cost of the living crisis and the union claims that 600 jobs will be lost under the new TFL plans mm. however TFL deny this yep. on the other hand and how many more strikes are planned and how many will they, uh, how many will they impact who is going on the strike of august and for how long on the 19th of august is that you know the the fifth as, as you said mm. the fifth consecutive 24 uh, hour tube strike this year yeah. and it does cause cause a lot of inconvenience for mm. a lot of people mm. but the reason that they're doing this is you know to have their voices heard if they're exactly. not getting their voices heard exactly. by people they, they see no other choice right yeah. it is a form of protest at the end of the day yeah definitely right? and with the cost of living increasing and with you know the the people that are working for the TFL if they are feeling as if their demands are not being met in terms their, their basic demands mm. the basic needs are not being met then they feel the need to go on strike and yes it does cause a lot of you know it, it causes a lot of inconvenience mm. but you know they must be heard and you know uh, just one thing which our caliph um may Allah be his helper the head of the ahmadiyya muslim community yeah he once said at an address in singapore he said that and this goes to you know all, all, all governments that it is the responsibility of governments at the time to provide these workers with decent wages and the best possible working conditions hmm. so that the gap between the rich and poor is reduced as much as possible yeah 
which is a basic teaching of Islam, which is the uh, you know the basic principle of uh, zakat as well, mm. um, of alms giving uh, within Islam to you know the rich, so that the rich don't get rich and the poor do not get poorer. Exactly, exactly. Responsibility of governments at the time to provide these workers with decent wages and the best possible working conditions so that the gap between the rich and poor is reduced as much as possible. And this, yeah. I was saying that this is a fundamental principle of mm. a zakat, is to yeah. make sure that there is a flow of money, a flow of wealth mm. within society. Mm. And what Islam does, Islam encourages the, the giving yeah. of yeah. wealth, the yeah. giving of alms so much. Mm. And it really, you know, Kind of, you know, kind you know, of engulfs this yeah. sort of uh, this idea, this uh, this this beautiful teaching mm. within people, and we see the examples of you know the companions of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. We see his com- uh, companion Hazrat Abu Bakr, yeah. who was the first Caliph after the Holy Prophet, and um, he was a dear dear companion, as mm. you could say, like a best like a best friend yeah. of the Holy Prophet. And once you know he he gave all of his wealth. He gave mm. all of his wealth for the cause of Allah, for the mm. cause of Islam. He mm. gave it. And the Holy Prophet asked him, what did you leave at yeah. home? What yeah. did you leave at yeah. home for your for your family? He said, I left God and the messenger. Yeah. So he gave every single thing that he had. Mm. And he was a very, very wealthy man at yeah. the time. He was, you know, yeah. uh, he, he accumulated a lot of wealth. Mm. And he was very well respected. Mm. Uh, the other companion, Hazrat Umar, mm. um, may Allah be pleased with him. Um, uh, he also gave mm. so much of his wealth. Yeah. You know, all these companions give so much of their wealth with you know not with with nothing in mind except for the love of God, mm. for the love of mankind, mm. for the love of the messenger. And what this did, what this allowed, was that the people that were rich, the people that were mm. wealthy, their their money would come down and circulate towards the poorer people who yeah. needed it more. Yeah. And that yeah. is the basic concept of the God that I was saying. Definitely. And you know, people, some people they compare Islam to. Um, Say you know how the te- te- the teachings of like communism is basically that everyone you know they have to have equal equal amount of pay, but that's not what Islam believes in. Islam Islam teaches you that you are allowed to do business, you are allowed to make profit, you are allowed to sell things at a, you know um, uh, at a higher rate, you are allowed to demand for what um, uh, whatever hard work you have done and get paid duly for it. But you know it just teaches that you know you shouldn't accumulate your wealth. And that's why that's exactly why you were saying the system of zakat is in place, so there is Definitely. a you know healthy circulation of wealth. So the poorer don't get poorer, and the richer don't get richer. In terms of why they're happening, uh, three reasons. Yeah. Um, one is over pay um, for rail workers, um, which has been frozen for the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, inflation is increasing, mm. and so they're striking over that. Uh, there's a question, uh, and then two other interconnected. Uh, reasons. One is uh, that there are concerns around compulsory redundancies yeah. in the industry, yeah. uh, and the unions want to make sure that any redundancies would be voluntary for mm. their members. Mm. Uh, and related to that is the reasons for the redundancies, which are around mod- modernisation to give some safety practices, and uh, so the unions are concerned that that modernisation does not reduce the level of safety on the on the railways. Yeah. In terms of the expected outcome of this, mm. um, this dispute has been going on for a couple of months as an industrial dispute. Yeah. It's been a negotiation for the last couple of years. Uh, and so the industrial dispute follows quite a, a long period of, of negotiation in, mm. the, in the rail industry. And so, you know, it, to some extent, it's a, it's a zero-sum game in, in terms of the, the amount of um, money that the 
um, the trade unions are asking for doesn't yet match up with the amount of money that the industry or the government in combination are prepared to put forward. Yeah. And so um, how long it takes depends entirely on how willing each side is to move on on, mm. on those points. And the longer it goes on, the harder it will be for either side to back down. Yeah. Um, and how long are these, uh, you know, rail strikes expected to continue? So I'm delighted to say, you know, we do have uh, our last guest for us uh, online with us this morning, Matthew Gill, who works for the Institute of Government. Good morning. Uh, peace be upon you and welcome to The Breakfast Show, Matthew. Good morning. Uh, just to begin with, uh, could you please tell us what is the purpose and expected outcome of the railway strikes? And why are, uh, sorry, uh, why are hundreds of railway workers voting to strike? We'll have a new um, Prime Minister hmm. uh, in September. Yeah. They may take a different approach. That may be an opportunity for a, a, a reset. Hmm. Um, but, um, you know, I think uh, to some extent, public opinion may be decisive on this. Yeah. Um, in that at the moment, um, the strikes have public support, and if they're able to maintain that, then they will remain in a strong position. Hmm. And if they're not able to maintain that, they won't. I mean, the other things that may may change this are that the, the the government are trying to change the rules of the game or considering changing the rules of the game in various ways. Yeah. Um, so um, considering, for instance, um, making it legal hmm. to bring in transferable workers or agency workers yeah. in a strike situation to cover for, for strikers question about how viable that actually is mm-hmm. um, in, in the rail industry but but there's that that option um, and introducing a variety of um, changes to limit the scope of strike actions so for instance saying that minimum service levels would have yeah. to be agreed um, in advance of a strike so that rail services would be maintained limiting the right to picket yeah. um, preventing coordinated action between workplaces or between unions uh, or enforcing a cool-off period after strikes before there could be further strikes. Yeah. So all of those things are being considered by the government, rightly or wrongly, as a, as a way of, um, you know, reducing the, um, the, the the union's influence in in, in this dispute uh, as an alternative to meeting the the, the, the demands that they're making. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, sorry. Did you mean uh, bring in people from overseas? It could be overseas. Yeah. It'd be much less likely to be from overseas, to be honest, into the. Um, okay. Because I mean, then you know, the whole Brexit thing would play into it as well, right? It, indeed, and so so the, the question here is that those agency workers would need to be readily available. Yeah. Uh, they would need to be qualified to do the the the, the jobs that yeah. they need to be doing. Hmm. Uh, which obviously, in the case of, I mean, they wouldn't be able to drive the trains um, or, or or service the railways, but they might be able to do some of the the the, the customer service roles considerably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but that it wouldn't be a full solution by any means. Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean that that probably would cause more issues than than it would actually you know you know solve solve the issues. Um, but in terms, you you said earlier that you know they they have the public support. But what are the, you know the major impacts of the rail strikes on the public pop, uh, the population? As in you know, I mean it does cause inconvenience. We understand you know the reason why they're doing it. But what are like you know the major impacts that it's causing? Well, so I mean, I think it, it's anybody who travels by train is, is is going to be impacted by this over the next yeah, few days. Definitely, um, yeah. Statistically, um, it's about forty percent commuting and business uh, travel. Um, it's about thirty percent leisure travel. 
uh, 10% education and the rest is people shopping. So that will have an obvious sort of economic impact. Um, but, but it's people using the railways for all, all, all kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the level of impact is going to be quite high um, because um, there are train strikes across um, 14 train operators but also network rail, which runs the track. So all train services across the UK are likely to be affected that run on network rail uh, track on the 18th and 20th of August. And then also in London on the 19th of August, there's yeah. um, uh, an underground and overground strike. So any of your listeners who are thinking of travelling uh, probably uh, should avoid doing so between Thursday morning and Sunday lunchtime uh, unless they check very carefully on their specific journey. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, you mentioned earlier about, you know, did what the government is actually you know thinking of you know different ideas or different sort of solutions but is there is there is there any effect of these strikes is there any positive impact for the workers for the people that are trying to get their voices heard trying to you know have their demands met is there any anything actually coming out of it or is it just continuous back to back strikes well for the workers i mean striking costs them money uh, yeah, they don't get paid yeah. on strike yeah, definitely, so yeah. um they they would only want to do this as as what they see as a as, as a last resort um and so that the benefit to them uh would be um if they're ultimately successful in the dispute uh and in the um the positioning for for, for the long term because uh, obviously this is not a a one-off thing um the the kind of the settlement on on paying conditions for uh rail workers is something that, that has to happen on a regular basis uh and, and 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 they will be concerned about the precedent that they set now for future uh d- d- disputes as well uh, so they will have made a made a judgment and, and certainly based on the on the turnout on the vote they've made a judgment that this is this is worth it for them at the moment yeah yeah matthew so thank you so much for joining us not once but twice today um, thank you so much for joining us uh, have a lovely thank day you, have a lovely morning you too goodbye thank you that was Matthew Gill uh, an institute uh, for the government and if you would like to join in on the conversation have your voice heard or just ask a question or just say something for our listeners the number to call is 0208-687-7878 or you could tweet us at Voice of Islam UK uh, we you know regularly update our tweets and we we regularly update our Instagram posts so you can keep up to date with that too. Um, we do have a brief audio clip of um, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, um, the fourth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community. Um, you know may Allah be pleased with him. So let's listen to that one briefly. The point is that uh, man is a much larger entity than uh, some specialized uh, people think. The modern world wants to turn men into small machines and computers to lose touch of the environment entirely and serve the general scheme of things controlled by some higher government policy makers. So they would much rather prefer scientists, so purely scientists, that they don't know anything of the world outside. They will gain, of course, to some extent that individual will also gain and to some extent the people whom he is ultimately going to serve, they would gain, but he would lose a much uh, higher value, that is, of an individual, to enjoy life as an individual, to understand the phenomena of life, to serve nobler purposes, he'll be deprived of that. There are few people who can 
at the same time maintain these two parts together. Like Dr. Abdul Salam, he is one of those genius people who, who maintains both these departments intact and pays his uh, dues to both his uh, personality as a religion, as a social person and as a scientist. So, you know, that was His uh, Holiness um, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, may love mercy on him, where he was, uh, you know, speaking in regards to having different career paths. So, just to correct you, Hazrat Mirza yeah. Tahir Ahmed. Uh, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, apologies. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just coming, coming, coming back to the topic, um, uh, another quote from, you know, uh, another caliph of uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the second caliph, the son of the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Bishyadin Mahmoud Ahmad, um, may Allah be pleased with him. He wrote a book called The Economic System of Islam. And in that, he says that the basis of the Islamic teachings I have described above is essential to understand the ec- economic philosophy. I developed these uh, concepts because the Islamic economic system cannot succeed without its necessary environment. As I've already mentioned, Islam has no system that is not based on law. Instead, Islam presents the, a way that is a combination of the other two systems, naturalist and individualist. As such, the fundamentals of the Islamic economic system are the same as Islam itself, as mentioned above. And in a Friday sermon delivered on the 1st of April uh, 2016, Hazrat uh, Mirza Masood Ahmed, may Allah be pleased with him, uh, uh, sorry, uh, may Allah be his helper, um, the, the caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the current caliph, he said that the promised Messiah on whom be peace spoke at times that uh, the employer does not give rights of the employee and at other times the employees do not give rights to the employer. Governments do not give rights to the public and vice versa. Severe measures are taken when employees and general public do not fulfill their rights. Thus, it is a, a vicious circle of worldly life that humankind is involved in. Islam teaches to try and fulfill each other's rights as one fulfills rights of one's brother. It just goes to show that mm. you know Islam does give teachings not just on you know the spiritual spiritual side of things, but you know the worldly the worldly things, the yeah. the, the uh, you know the topics, the issues that we face, mm. uh, the contemporary issues that we face. Definitely. Says that we should also give our rights to as an employee and mm. as an employer. We should give our rights, and we should not take advantage uh, of certain situations. We should uh, do our best mm. uh, to you know to fulfill the rights of others. And yeah. I remember when when the COVID pandemic you know was well towards the beginning of it mm. and you know a lot of a lot of food was running out yeah. um our caliph um may Allah be his helper he stated in a friday sermon he gave advice saying mm. that those people those ahmadi you know shop owners yeah. do not increase your prices yeah. uh you know to to reap benefit from exactly. from a pandemic exactly. because he Basically reiterated Because that's, that's that what All the other shop owners Were doing But you yeah. know, he instructed At least to to The Ahmadi owners Who will listen to him That do not Do not follow In their footsteps yep. And um, because You know th- This is a pandemic At the end of the day Help your fe- fellow brethren And uh, you know You shouldn't just Everyone's be, in the same exactly, boat Exactly Everyone's yeah. in the same boat so yeah, I mean, just you know, giving advice. It just you know, people were running off the toilet, pa- toilet paper, oh, the dishes, are. and you know, just collecting them in the handles. You know, those little ones would cost like three, four pounds yeah, uh, yeah. a bottle. It was, it was crazy. Those were those were crazy times. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. I mean, the I just like has to, you know, all of us. yeah, just to wrap this topic up uh, with a um, staying of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be um, upon him. He he said uh, that pay wages to the workers before his sweat is dry. 
and you know that just sums up this topic beautifully mm-hmm, and we are coming to a close on today's show you know i just like to thank the thank the producer Nafisa Amini and the researchers Nawira Khan and Maria Sheikh and our tech department of course um Akib Ahmed and you know it's always a pleasure to serve here at the Voice of Islam you know it's um we get get to you know experience great things ourselves as well and you know it's a pleasure to make this show for the listeners and to deliver this and you know we do have many other different shows that you know everyone is requested to tune in we have drive time today from 4 to 6 and tomorrow's breakfast show for now peace be upon you and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh